Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the French Rookie Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beatty, and former Ireland hooker, ex-Grenoble coach, friend of the show, Bernard Jackman is joining us to analyse the hell out of the most anticipated clash in this year's Six Nations, Ireland-France this weekend. We will, of course, come on to France's narrow win over Italy very shortly, but I can't really ask you how you are, Johnny, without mentioning the Calcutta Cup. You obviously at Twickenham at the weekend, so guessing you're pretty well. Very hungover still <laughs> it's monday uh very proud delighted for scotland and just a changing of the times mate like i played loads against england i think the best i managed was i drew one i won yeah. fuck all games against england so the fact that these boys now have gone three back to back for the first time since the 1970s it's incredible so i couldn't be happier for the boys and for gregor i watched the game with uh, Toby Flood, Andy Good, Dylan Armitage, the people that have never lost to Scotland. So a massive shift in the perspective, I think. I think people didn't really respect the fact that they won there during COVID. Um, but the fact that they did it again in front of 82,000 pairs of red chinos and gilets and Guinness, um, <laughs> it was epic. And it was really weird, mate. It was quite quiet in the stadium. There's been a lot on social media about it as well. But Twickenham is very corporate. It's a very quiet stadium. So Incredible for the players. We saw the average beer consumption at Twickenham was eight pints per head at Twickenham really? on game day. So it's basically just a massive piss up. But the one team that brought the rugby was Scotland and they did enough. Massive result. An amazing day. A great weekend for Scottish sports fans. And I absolutely loved it. It was great fun. You described Murrayfield as the library in the autumn, I think. What does that make Twickenham? So mate, it's weird because I'm used to Bayonne or you're at Toulon or whatever it is and it's it's mayhem, right? It's carnage. French rugby fans are a different breed. Because I've been here for 10 years, that's what you get used to. It's festive. Whereas British rugby generally when you get back is quiet. Murrayfield, the library, that's more when Edinburgh play. When Scotland play, there's a bit more <laughs> to get behind them, you know? But You're wriggling out of it now. No, no I'm squirming. <laughs> the, the difference between um, Murrayfield and Twickenham was marked. I mean, Twickenham was dead. And I was sat next to Toby Flood watching the start of the game. And I was like, mate, is it always like this? And he's like, yep, this is what it's like. You just get used to it. You just get used to playing with the quiet and trying to excite them and trying to trying to get them up. But that's it. When they didn't manage to get that big break and a big gap, there was space and effort and Scottish fans got behind their team and Scotland came back into the game. And it was awesome. And speaking of atmospheres, it's often not brilliant at the Stadio Olimpico because it's often half full. Italy are often getting pumped. Not so at the weekend. It was bouncing at times, wasn't it? It was, but that's because Italy came out and played. 
you know, it's been poor for them in the past because it's been one-way traffic and their team's been losing. But now you've got a team that can play. That makes a difference. You've got French support that travelled as well that was up. But the fact that the game was a real story and it was a real back and forth and there was loads to cheer about, the quality of play from both sides, although some of it was fractious and France made a lot of errors, there was lots to shout about, lots of ball in hand, lots of line breaks, lots of tackle breaks. Um, and it was exciting. And the atmosphere was absolutely rocking. It was class. And we gave him the big build-up last week. Ange Capozzo did not disappoint. Not bad, is he? Look, his try was excellent to beat Greg. Bless him. He's the one guy you don't want to get caught in a one-on-one. <laughs> Greg, who actually bust his backside to get out. But Ange Capozzo, like the agility of the boy to beat Greg. Incredible. But then also, I think we saw a little bit of his rounded game. He was great as a second receiver. He was popping up in midfield. He's clearly got a vision of play as well as decision-making on the ball. Was great through multi-phase, which adds a new dimension to Italian phase play attack. And he just, I don't know, he gets you out of your seat or is an injection of pace whenever he touches the ball. There's always a risk an offload's going to go. He just gives Italy that X factor that maybe they haven't had. And he gives everyone in the stadium a lift when he touches the ball. It was clear that they were trying to get his hands on the ball as much as possible, which he would do. Of course, it's like a young Stuart Hogg, right? So if you know somebody can unlock defences, can cause utter carnage and chaos, create some situations that are going to end up in favourable play, you get the ball in his hands. And that was it. It was a nice mix. So he had a nice spread of taking the ball to the line in multi-phase and actually, you know, almost like league style, like dropping a shoulder, short balls when it meant be going out the back, dropping somebody straight through a line just by reading the defensive line. His kick game was safe. He was decent in the air. The the one thing you worry about is because he's so slight that he's going to get broken, but he seems to wriggle out of things or, or find a way with some explosive power to get an arm free or offload. Um, so no, clearly as well from backfield, they try and give it to him and they allow him to sort of pry into the defensive line when he's running back. So like really interesting to see how he's going to evolve. Still a little bit of an unknown for some defences, but clearly now defence coaches are going to say, look, when this guy gets the ball in backfield, wise up. Because again, at the weekend, he was looking at chip kicks. He was looking to step. He was crossing the field. Lots of different parts of his play, um, but really encouraging. We've got another star, hopefully, emerging and shining bright for Italy. And it wasn't just him. Huge performances elsewhere for Italy. The likes of Fischetti, Negri had big games. Yeah. But from a French perspective, Sean Edwards afterwards was very unhappy with some of the refereeing interpretations. I don't know whether that was the actual decisions or whether it was just the fact that his team had conceded 18 penalties and that's unheard of. That was actually the most penalties France have conceded in the Six Nations since 2003. So, How many was it total? 18. So like I saw part of their prep and I spoke to some of the players in camp on the Thursday before and they'd just come out of a meeting where they'd been told that in 2021... And in 2022, their worst discipline performance was against Italy, where they conceded 15 in each game. So they were told. They were told. I'm not sure if it's a Latin thing or the fact they're coming up against Italians and things get a bit loose. That game in 2003 as well, where there was 20 or something, that was Italy as well. So maybe it is a thing. But they were told about it. They were warned. So even with the learnings, the players still got it wrong, which I find really bizarre. And even... Like Seku Makalu after the game said that the messages when they were coming onto the field was hands out of the ruck, don't stick your noses in anything. <laughs> he then goes on to win the final turnover that wins the game by sticking his hands in a ruck because he was 100% sure. But I don't know, it was a real mix of the self-inflicted shooting themselves in the foot and giving Italy a, you know, a leg up, giving them 40 metres each time to, um, to gain on the gain line and go forward. And Italian pressure, Italy played well. They really did pressurise France, Olivon came up with four pens and a yellow card in the end, and it's not good enough. Like you just know 
professional level, you have to aim for less than 10 every single game or else you get punished. And Italy very nearly punished them. France, like they come away bizarrely disappointed with the performance. They come away with a bonus point win, so they march on, but they're going to have to be so much better this week if they're going to cause Ireland any trouble. And what you mentioned there about the breakdown and the messages coming on and them not feeling like they could compete will have had a massive knock-on effect on this. But Italy, as a result, had very quick ball. I think it was 68% of their rooks were under three seconds. Normally, yeah. France are very good at slowing teams down. And obviously, Ireland love quick ball. So that, that is clearly an area where Sean Edwards will be working all week on that, won't he? Yeah, but then I really enjoy it. And this is Kieran Crowley. Look, they've beaten Australia in the autumn. They're evolving themselves. They're a good team, but I like the way strategically how they attacked. So like when you come up against France, big blitz defense, big strong men around like the 9-10 channel. So they come up, they hit hard and they just steered away from it. They sort of ticed them in, nice little pod off nine out the back and they attacked outside in the 10 channel, which meant you take away the middle of the field, which means it's way harder to blitz. So if you split a defensive line, once you've got one quick ball and you've got them on the back foot, it becomes quicker and quicker. So I really enjoyed, uh, perversely should be following the French side, but I enjoyed the tactical blend of how they tried to take away the middle of the field from France and how that gave them that quick ruck speed. The stat you mentioned is ridiculous and France generally are very, very good at competing for ball, but there weren't the dominant collisions because they weren't in the nine channel. There weren't the backward hits. There wasn't the ability for the boys to get their hands in and compete as normally there is. So like Ireland will have looked at that as well. How and where did Italy attack and why? And how do you try and fix a French defense? But that's the continued evolution for all these different sides is how do you continue to get better? And like the amazing thing from the weekend again was that each and every single one of the games could really have gone either way, apart from Wales, who started very poorly. But the quality of the product on show, the Grand Slam champions going away to Italy, you couldn't have written that type of game. Um, but Italy were absolutely excellent, and I really enjoyed it. So yes, Sean will be disappointed, but that's coaching. Like You prepare the first game is always very hard, and they'll have to be better this weekend. There may be a couple of contenders from that game, and a whole round of action from the top 14 as well, which we might touch on a bit later on. So let's find out what your meter moment of the week is, Johnny. Can I be biased? Oh, God. Come on, there has to be one. Are you allowed to do this? Am I not allowed to do this? Yeah, you can do it. Go on, then. I think I can, mate. Duhan. The Duhan. Super Dewey. Poor defence, wasn't it? It was shocking, mate. <laughs> uh, we all talk about the England game, but I couldn't believe how bad some bits of their game were. I'm not sure if you saw Steve Borthwick this morning as well coming out and say, you've no idea how bad the side is I inherited. That their scrum quality wasn't even the top 10 for a tier one nation. Um, the ruck speed is the slowest of the of the tier one nations. Um, but some of the fundamentals of their game were absolutely shambolic and Scotland capitalised, which leads on to how they capitalised in the meeting moment of the week. But probably already the try of the tournament, I don't think we're going to see better. An appalling kick chase, but step forward the Duhan. The world's best assist by Kyle Stein, a 10 metre pass in the middle of the field, which seems to open everything up, the parting of the Red Sea. And Duhan van der Merwe, absolutely incredible. Like for Scots in the stadium and watching at home on TV, I'm not sure we'll see another try like that in our lifetimes. Beating five Englishmen, breaking tackles, running 55 metres straight down their throats, papping Dombrandt off like a small schoolgirl at the end. Absolute bliss for Scottish rugby fans in the metre moment of the weekend. It was phenomenal. To see it there in person was even better. Nothing to do with French rugby. It's an absolute <laughs> cop-out and a cheat, but the best try from the weekend. It was phenomenal. 
We'll allow it. Just once. Just once. <laughs> that was Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can now get 10% off any full-price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10, and you'll get 10% off any full-price item at meter.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's get our guest on now then and focus fully on the biggest clash in this year's Six Nations as the top two teams in the world go head-to-head in Dublin this weekend. We can have a chat with former Ireland hooker, ex-Grenoble coach and friend of the show, Bernard Jackman, how you doing? Yeah, great, thanks guys. Looking forward to this weekend and looking forward to this chat. Looking forward to it or nervous? There's not too much doubt who had the more impressive performance at the weekend, Ireland or France in round one. So is confidence high in Ireland or are you slightly nervous? Oh no, look, we're nervous. I think there's huge respect for France and I think there's a lot of people in Ireland who feel maybe they should be number one in the world, you know, in terms of what they've done over the last year. They've the, they've the Grand Slam, um, what are they, 15 games in a row unbeaten. But look, we're in, a, we're in a decent place as well. And obviously last year we lost away in Paris without Johnny Sexton. And probably with an Irish team who weren't as comfortable in terms of the style of play that Andy Farrell and Mike Cass and Simon Easterbeer and Paul O'Connell are trying to impose. So we looked like we've moved on a little bit. Obviously New Zealand was a, uh, a big thing for us to win a first test series down there and we backed it up in November not probably as convincingly but we beat Australia in South Africa in tight games which I think that's what France have been doing um, France have been very good at finding a way to win and I'd like to think we're getting there but this is a this is a huge test and, and the worst scenario for us was France playing as badly as they did and still get the five points and have Sean Edwards on them all week about discipline and you know, and obviously, if they're better in those areas, then they're significantly more dangerous. So it's going to be fascinating. Do you think it was just rust for France at the weekend, or did Italy cause them problems that Ireland will obviously have picked up on? 
I think they did, to be honest. I, no, I think Italy were good. I think Italy were good. The back row was excellent. They, you know, they found space. They found space in the back line. Um, and Italy, uh, look, I'm glad to see Italy get better. I, I was, I was probably one of those people saying two years ago, if they didn't start to show improvement, maybe they should have to have a, a playoff for to you know to guarantee their position. But obviously, beating beating Wales away, uh, beating our Australia, you know, in, in the November. The way they played yesterday, they're going to add value to this competition. And the under twenties were very unlucky to lose to France as well. So that's mm. really positive, I think. And I respect Italy and, and I oh, but I also think France traditionally have struggled at times with Italy, particularly away from home. And it was a game that France didn't didn't really have all they could do is basically get a win. The the manner of it, the, the you know, the challenges that lay ahead are always was always going to be a little bigger for them. So I think I understand why France weren't as as probably fluid as they would have liked. But I do expect expect a big uh, a big improvement this weekend. And in terms of how Italy did apply pressure, what do you think Andy Farrell will have seen like to he'll decide, right, we can roll that out too? I know they've got their own way of playing, but there'll be certain elements he'll have been really pleased with and saw some weaknesses that France displayed. Yeah, they did. And I, I thought defense well, like obviously look at they they had a lot of possession because of the amount of, of penalties they won. But I thought they they won penalties at the breakdown. Um, Sean Edwards feels, you know, maybe some of them were a bit harsh, whatever. But I thought because they were asking questions of France, their ball movement was was good. The carry clean was very accurate. They were very direct uh, when they needed to be very physical and lay down a marker. And, and France seemed to get a little bit caught up and, and tetchy by not having, you know, uh, the type of possession or making the dominant tackles that they normally do. Let's be honest, Kieran Crowley is a coach who likes to play. You know, he had Benetton, Treviso playing um, a very attractive brand of rugby, which got him very close to um, a playoffs in, in in the old URC. Um, he's got some exciting backs, um, and I, I, you know, I think I think with Dante out, a lot of pressure on Gail Fiku, um, uh, and I thought they asked questions of him, and he, look at he either side of him mainly, you know, he, you know, he's going to make his tackles, but I think I think that Italy exposed um, potential opportunities in that in that French. Backline defensively, and also Ireland don't play a massively dissimilar way to to the way Italy want to play. Ireland are probably a little bit more consistent, probably a bit more misery in terms of looking after the ball. But they are a team uh, who play high tempo. And if you look at that game against, um, if you look at the game against Wales, okay, it was our it was our forwards who scored the first two tries. But in general, it came off you know playing high tempo around the halfway line, having good smarts around whether to run or kick or, or kick on the edge. That gave us the field position, and then you know off line out strikes were were pretty good at getting over the gain line. And then once you get over the gain line, the first phase Ireland are good at staying on top of you. So the challenge for Ireland is um, there's a doubt about Ireland against big powerful teams. South Africa was big because obviously that they're the they're the marker that you look for. But France for me, France and South Africa are are, are similar in terms of the size of of of, of forwards or or even backs that they can pick. Um, and obviously, you know, this is Antonio, this is Marshan, this is Bai, this is Paul Willemse or Taufania to come off the bench, to, 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 to come off the bench. We don't get that regularly in this competition. We don't get that in the URC. A little bit more now that South Africans have come in. So there's a fear in it in all Irish rugby pundits' minds around power can put a stop to us. So, um, and that's something that France have in spades. Given the context of Gatlin coming back, a new Wales, but an old Wales. Were you surprised by how quickly Ireland got into their stride and dominated that game at the weekend? Yeah, it was so impressive, to be honest, because they went straight from a Portugal on training camp, 
Ty Furlong was was pulled out, and he's obviously a key player for us. Then the, the most the sec people say you know Ty Furlong, Johnny Sexton uh, are key to Ireland. Absolutely, they are. But I think Gibson Park has become mm. in the, uh, a player that you can put in the same bracket because of this high tempo um, and ball movement. And him to pull out the morning of the match could have been a disruption that made us maybe slow to start. Um, but to be fair to Conor Murray, he was he was excellent. He hasn't been he's been dropped by Munster, but yet he was able to step up to the place um, at international level and, and get back to the type of form that he you know he became number, probably one of the top two or three scrum in the world in. And it was really impressive. It was really impressive. We didn't make a mistake really for about thirty minutes. And you know, obviously the the, the James Low try was an intercept, but a good defensive read. And then we had a little blip in the third quarter, but then we finished strong. And, and from an Irish point of view, I think it was massive that Ross Byrne was on the field for that last fifteen minutes when we had to go chase a bonus point, and he had a big impact in that because we have become very reliant on Sexton. Farrell has now made a choice that he's going away from Joey Carberry for the Six Nations anyway, who has been the backup. Ross Byrne is the backup in, in, in Leinster. He's probably the most like for like replacement for Johnny Sexton in terms of, you know, being able to boss the forwards, being a good game manager, having a decent passing game and, and a very good kicking game. And that's really important for us because uh, we have become incredibly reliant on, on, on Sexton. So look at, and also I think men, men, mentality wise, if Wales got a good start there, that game could have been, you know, very different. And Ireland knew that and they went out and just starred Wales in possession. Their discipline was very good. Their ball retention was very good. They scored every time they got into the, the Welsh 22. And they, they had the game taken away after 30 minutes. And that's um, that's very mature for, for, uh, from us and probably something that um, maybe we haven't been good, good in the past. And also, look, I'll tell you the, the truth. I mean, you know, we went into... Uh, 2023 is number one in the world theoretically it's the World Cup year and in the past we've been very poor in World Cup years from you know from the start of the Six Nations and it's burst the bubble so that bubble can still get burst but at least we're going into round two with it's still full of air You mentioned the absence of Furlong and Gibson Park they're two massive players for Ireland to miss they clearly didn't against Wales which one is more of a loss against France do you think given the size of the French pack, but also then the tempo that Ireland need to play at. Yeah, look, I think Murray can get us there. I think the big one is is Furlong, to be honest, just because of this French scrum. And Finley Bielham, and I don't want to be critical of him because I think he's probably one of the most approved players in Irish rugby. And he was excellent against against Wales, and he's been excellent for Connacht. But this is a different test. And it's not just a tight head prop. But if they come under pressure, that creates cracks across the rest of the scrum. And when you go away from home in a Six Nations, if you can find an area of weakness that's as important as potential um, weakness around around a scrum and be able to go for that second shove to be able to disrupt you know, their put-ins, that's that's the big one for, for, for us. So I think I was worried about Gibson Park missing, but I thought Murray showed what he can do. We've got a, a replacement for him called Craig Casey, who's a, a high-tempo scrum half from, from Munster, so if Connor's not having a great day, we do have that option to replace Gibson Park with a like for like, if you get me, with Casey. But the question mark is is a little bit around not some Beelham. I, I think Beelham can hold it to a certain extent. It's his replacement, like Tom O'Toole, um, who's a powerful uh, prop around the field, but isn't first choice scrummager in, in Ulster. 
Dan McFarland, the Ulster coach, would go for a guy called Marty Moore mm-hmm. um, if there was a fear around the scrum. So that's something um, that I think you know would like some would particularly Marshall. I, th- I think Sarah Boy is a, is, a, is a phenomenal loose at it. Don't think he's he's scrummaging that well at the moment, um, and that's that's a bit of a relief. But pressure on the right hand side of the scrum, and if they can get that going across, you know, with the weight of Willemse or Taufania with Antonio, uh, with the strength of Marshall, if they can get that going across. Onto the Irish right hand side of the scrum, which will be Beelham or Tool, um, then that could be dangerous for us. And also Wayne Barnes, I mean, he's not afraid to make a decision at scrum time and, and go with his good as well. So that would be the big concern for me this, this weekend. So yeah, it could be pivotal. And again, it's daft. We're asking, we're asking a front row forward if he thinks the scrum's going to be pivotal in this weekend's game. But do you think that that genuinely could potentially be the key? for France unlocking a win is that if they achieve some sort of dominance at scrum time, cheap penalties, we saw what it did, France-Italy, the other way this weekend, free field position and you get yourself a foothold in the game, you think that it could be that big and that important that weekend, the loss of tag furlong? Yeah, I do, I do Johnny, and, I, and look at it, I'm not, um, Ireland haven't got exposed that much in, in the scrum um, in, in recent years, so it's probably not in everyone's me- mind, but there has been days when we have not when Furlong played or Mike Ross, but when we've had to go to you know the backup or John Hayes. But when we've had to go to the backup, there has been days when that's cost us. And, and let's be honest, you know Leinster and, and, and Ireland are, are pretty similar. Uh, you know a lot of the same players. The Leinster scrum has been coming uh, as we come under pressure uh, without Tyke Furlong, and it's made games more competitive. Um, than they may maybe needed to be away to the Ospreys, and and it's a, I think it's a very lucky for Ireland that Nicky Smith didn't play against Ireland uh, because he's been scrummaging the house down. But also Leinster losing to to La Rochelle, you know, in the in the final last year, semi final year before, there was key moments when La Rochelle were able to win scrum penalties. Leinster losing to Saracens in that quarter final, it was built around seven or eight scrum penalties. So, you know it. It only happens every now and again where the scrum becomes the dominant talking point of the game afterwards, and you know I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't be. But for me, that's the that's the big area of, of concern. And let's say that parity is achieved. If you were Fabian Galtier, how would you play against Andy Farrell's side? What would you look to exploit, or what other areas of weakness do you think could be exposed this weekend? Yeah, it's interesting, and I saw how France exposed. That narrowness in in, in Italian's defence with the kick pass, you know, obviously targeting De Mortier. Uh, I don't see that being an area that Ireland Ireland generally have more wit in in our defence. The teams that tend to, when they see weaknesses in Ireland, uh, it's power, right? So it's getting your big ball carriers playing off nine, um, or going back, going to ten and back inside to a, a strike runner, not letting Ireland get off the line, dominating them physically, and and I think. You know, with with some of the ball carrying uh, players that France have, they can do that, and also you know using Mofana as a as a battering ram. Even though I do think they miss they miss they miss Dante. I think he he's he's become a key player um, for them. Um, but the teams, the coaches that tend to, when they look at Ireland and how they defend, they're either very direct, they don't really go to wit early, or they go to the air a lot. You know, and that sounds I, I think. You don't kick to Hugo Keenan. Um, he's he's proven himself time and time again. But I do think James Lowe and Mac Hansen can be can be got at in, in the air. And and well, you know yourself, once you start to if you win a knock on if if our, if Mac Hansen and James Lowe knock it on from a box kick or from a contestable, then you have a scrum and if that's dominant. But also if you can get that type of possession back where it goes back on your side and Ireland are in transition defense, 
that's where I think Ireland would fear France because of the the individuals, you know, Peno, Intermac, Dupont, obviously, off the bench, then obviously, you know, Garak, Jalibert, the uh, Garak, they're so good in that transition phase um, and being able to exploit potential holes. I think phase defence, I think Ireland are pretty comfortable and, and I think we'd get a lot of confidence from, you know, our, our defence against uh, Wales, particularly our goal line D, but off counter-attack, uh, which obviously Scotland exploited against England, counter-attack or uh, transition turnover ball, I think that's something that Galtier would be looking to try and guess. Um, use that as a, as a big source of possession. And let's be honest, I mean, you know, Vlock Killier, who's the uh, kicking coach for for France, I think he has a big influence. And, and, and everyone talks about the French flair and the brilliance of France. France are very methodical in terms of how they play and they kick a lot and they kick well. So this isn't rip it up. This is actually just probably doing what they do well um, against a team that that's probably suited to. Very pragmatic. I remember Sean Edwards, um, when he was speaking to France about the job, obviously he coached against France a lot. And he was like, I'm not taking this job unless you get a kicking coach because, and not just a guy to teach players how to kick, it's actually to can make sure that we have clear kicking strategies because no matter how yeah. good my defence is, if you kick as badly as you've kicked historically, uh, you're going to get ripped apart. And I think together, with obviously improved fitness, um, a better set piece, it's all kind of just uh, aligned now, which I don't think it was in the past. And you mentioned that Sean was absolutely spitting feathers after the game, not happy about the concession of 18 penalties and the interpretation. Wayne Barnes this weekend, generally, he's probably a bit more relaxed around the breakdown. And in recent years, obviously, these two have been the top two teams in the Six Nations. The battle has always been for speed of ball. So who do you think that favours and who's going to come out on top in that respect? Yeah, I don't think either of them will have rapid quick ball to be honest um, and I agree with you about Wayne Barnes I think um, you know he's not one of these referees who who feels they need to please the assessor um, and are going to implement the laws to the absolute letter I, I think he, he has more of a, he, sorry I'm not criticising someone else but he has a good feel for the game and, and he tries to create a bit of flow and you know communicate to players and and, and, and players will will work with him down. They'll do their job. They'll slow the ball down, but they, they won't give away the penalty. Whereas I thought the weekend, you know, they were getting pinged for for trying to just do just a little bit too much or, or just do enough. So um, I don't think either team would have rapid ball, to be honest. I, I think when you have, you know, the physicality that France have, it switched on France. And it kind of happened in the, in the first quarter against Wales where Ireland, first half first half Ireland were just getting, getting over the gain line, getting their nose through, con, through contact. Wales couldn't make two-man hits and the ball was rapid, right? And then in the second half, Ireland weren't getting those, you know, noses through contact. They're getting two men hits in the tackle and the ball was, was slower. And then the next phase was, was difficult. And then because I think Ireland probably got caught trying to overplay in that third quarter, and that's probably something that Johnny will will reflect on um, because we were chasing a bonus point and, and, and we got ourselves in trouble. Whereas I think, and this doesn't sound great because I think this game might be real cagey, really tactical. And we, we won't see Ireland, you know, f- throwing the ball around and we won't see France either. But yet there could be one moment of magic or two moments of magic from, from either side that, that makes a difference. I agree. I think it's going to be a like, one of those ridiculously abrasive games of chess where they just take time to figure each other out, ultra pragmatic, kick ping pong, wait for a mistake and go. That being said, 
caginess, the fact that they're back in Dublin, they're going for their 13th straight home win, which surpassed the record from the Joe Schmidt era. Yeah. How big is it? They obviously lost this fixture two years ago, the Irish. There was nobody there. But now back at home, how big is home advantage with an Irish crowd, a full house in Dublin? I think I think it's massive. And uh, um like Farrell came out today and you know talked it up as well about you know how important the Irish crowd is. But like there's a there's a big connection. There's probably a bigger connection with the, the Irish rugby public now and this team than there was with Joe. And and that's that's nothing against Joe, but basically they love Farrell, you know, um they've grown to love Johnny Sexton. Um and that was you would think no, but <laughs> That 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 wasn't as straightforward as as you would imagine a fellow with his success and caps and being captain of Ireland. They kind of they they see the softer side to him now, but yet they admire that. I suppose no nonsense um, attitude. The, the Roy Keane type figure who who just wants to win at all costs, who's narky and you know um, gets upset with his players or whatever. Um, but they understand him a little bit more now, and it's a very this team is is very popular. Um, they're very approachable. You know, they're all playing here, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think post COVID, like the atmosphere in November was phenomenal. Right, the atmosphere in November was phenomenal. But as you know, in November, it's ninety five percent, maybe ninety eight percent Irish. You know what I mean? Um, the Six Nations is is completely different. Like, there's a lot of French people coming over. They bring color. They bring atmosphere. You know, it'll be eighty twenty, and and generally Irish fans, I think, will. Would feed off that and know they have to really get behind their team and, and pressurize Wayne Barnes and you know try and get inside the French team's heads and that 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 doesn't and that's not a given because they they're they're used to playing away from home and being better now but and let's be honest weekend one was brilliant you know what I mean of the Six Nations so so much rugby on at the moment and I thought we kind of we, we went into the Six Nations a little bit it was a bit of an like a sleep and and you know there was also so much scandal in the game you know um obviously wales big scandals scotland england the rfu france with laporte so it was just great to be talking about rugby and i think everyone who watched those three games enjoyed it and this is potentially a you know a decider one and two in the world some incredible names so yeah there's there's a buzz around here you can't get a ticket for love and money um even all the corporates are sold out so uh no there's a there's a there's a big big build up and yeah hopefully we get another cracker and in and amongst that buzz you mentioned top two sides in the world ireland are number one how are they handling that are they are they taking on the chin are they moving forward they enjoying it like what's the feeling in the irish rugby public versus the playing staff and the group how are they dealing with it generally? You know what? Look, at obviously there's, there's there's going to be clowns out there who get carried away on social media and stuff as fans, right? But the team, the team are are very level headed. I think Farrell, they brought in a brilliant guy. Farrell is very good at himself, right? So he's been there, done that, played for Wigan when Wigan were the top dogs, and and everyone wanted to to beat them, and they they managed to, I suppose, create success year on year and create a bit of a dynasty. Uh, so he's been there, and obviously. That's great because the players, you know, feel he knows what he's talking about and, and he's lived that himself. Uh, then he's got a lot of guys like O'Connell, you know, who has done a brilliant job technically, but also is, is a talisman. Um, and I think what, they, what they've what they done is they're sharing the pressure. So it became, with under Joe Schmidt, it became, you know, Joe, Joe's way, right? And everyone followed Joe. And the, he cranked up the pressure on everybody, Uh I was, talking to, I was talking to Johnny Sexton at a, at a cor- I interviewed him at a corporate gig and, and I asked him who's the best coach he ever had and he said by a mile Joe Schmidt right? by a mile Joe Schmidt but Andy Farrell 
is better for what Ireland need now because and he, the example he gave was Ireland used to train in this uh, Ireland stay in this hotel called Carton House and if they're going into camp on a Sunday night at eight o'clock at ten o'clock Sunday morning Johnny would have his bag packed and that afternoon his wife would say to him just go you're not you're not you might as not be here you know what I mean your head is somewhere else and he used to drive up the driveway excited to get into camp because in camp Joe was going to tell him to the ninth degree what he needs to be better at right. But he said his biggest learning as a leader was after the World Cup in 2019, when they reviewed the World Cup and the, the, the underperformance there, he found out there was seven or eight players getting to the gates of that hotel and not wanting to go in because it became so pressurized, so intense. And you know yourself, and, and you got to get a balance right between the detail, but the, the relaxation, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, etc. Um, and I think what he's done is he's, he's put big pressure on the senior players but across a multitude of players to lead this. And apparently that's what he's unbelievable at. So, you know, we've all been involved in leadership meetings on a Monday and the coach says, look at what do you think of this? And what do you think of this defense strategy, blah, blah, blah. And, and you agree with, everyone agrees with it or don't agree with it. But once you agree with it, the coach leads it. But apparently Farrell has say, says to them like, you know, yeah, but okay, well, on Thursday, if, if it's not ready, what are you going to do about it? And and because it's a shared process and when it goes wrong, he doesn't throw anyone under the bus. Um, there's there's that psychological safety or support there. I think they will deal with it better. Uh, I think they already are, and they're they're seeing it as about them just getting better. Even if we lose Saturday, I don't think it's going to blow up. I, I genuinely believe. Um, I actually don't even think losing would be a terrible thing if a, an area of our game gets exposed that we think is is perfect. If you know what I mean, because for us the World Cup has to be the be on end all because of our lack of success there historically. So, um, but. Would we have a better chance of doing well in the World Cup if we could win the Six Nations? Yeah, absolutely. One area of Ireland's game that a lot of people do think is perfect at the moment is the back row. Yeah. Getting a lot of plaudits in that area. France in the back row have got three quite similar types of players. They could all play eight, really, couldn't they? They could all play six, probably, but they've not really got a seven in there. Julian Marchand does a lot of work at the breakdown, work over the ball. Do you think Ireland could have an edge in that area? Look, I love, I love that. Um, French back row on, on paper. They obviously didn't perform at the weekend. Um and Aldrich, who's an amazing talent, just didn't didn't fire to his normal level. I don't see that happening um two weeks in a row. I think Ireland have a very good balance to their back row. I mean, Josh van der Fleer, um obviously world player of the year. Um the only weakness his game is he's not a lineup option, but Ireland use you know him as a plus one. They use his, his speed to break out and play a lot of plays into that into that seam of the lineup between the back and, and the ten channel. So he, we we manage that pretty well. He's got an unbelievable engine. You know he'll just keep going. He's added ball carrying, and um, but yet he has an incredible ability to be effective and and get to a lot of breakdowns more so than the French tree, I think. Um, and then you have Doris, who's pretty good at everything not pretty good how good is no, he's, very good. he's very he's only 24 he's only 24 he's very he's very a freak good. he's a freak he's very good and then peter manny i thought was done to be honest i mean you know he'd start he'd lost his place so the back row a year ago was doris at six jack conan at eight and van der fleer at, at seven and jack conan was starting eight for gatland in south africa on the lions tour mm-hmm. um and now he's on the bench um because omani is just uh, like statistically, you wouldn't pick Peter Manny. Um, and even I was talking to the Munster head analyst, and he was saying that he 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 um, compares very poorly with a lot of the back rows in terms of just output. But if you can measure momentum swings, change our game momentum changers, big moments, 
he has this ability to do that. So I think with Van der Fleer and Doris, you can carry, no, no sorry, you can play Pete, Peter Manny, who will win you that big line out steal, will get you that important jackal, um, is a is a leader, is a motivator, etc. And the balance looks the balance looks pretty good. At the weekend, the, the French back row didn't even get involved in the game. No. I mean, they were nowhere to be seen because the pressure Italy applied to the game, the ball they held, the way they shifted the point of contact, didn't allow them to settle. If Ireland do the same, it'll be difficult. If, if France are on the back foot, those boys are taken out of the game. That being said, when they're on form, when they get the ball, when they get a couple of big collisions and win some contacts, we talked about the power game and they're on the front foot, they're capable of generating that power themselves. They're a monstrous unit. Let's not kid ourselves. They're phenomenal. I was going to ask you, like, based on the injuries we talked about and the key elements of the game, do you think, injuries aside, Ireland will make any tactical choices or changes in personnel for this weekend? So Henshaw, Henshaw would always start for Ireland at 12 if he was fit. He's not, he's not back. So there's been a bit of debate around Bundyaki or McCluskey. So McCluskey, I don't know if you know this, but Bundy's been out of favour in Connacht. Um, there's rumours of, of disharmony and, and his form has been poor. But he came off the bench and was 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 pretty good. Um, Bundy's proven at international level and Farrell likes him. But uh, McCluskey's been incredible for Ulster, but just because of the the Gordon Darcy, Ryan O'Driscoll, you know Gary Ringos, Robbie Henshaw, Bundy, he, he hasn't got a huge amount of starts. And I think Far was te- was was keen to start him against Wales because he he started against South Africa, did well, and probably needs to get five, uh, probably eight or nine starts into him, you know, to know what store what where he's at for the World Cup. But I think now I I, I, I don't know. I think Bundy may start this week, um, and that's nothing against McCluskey. It's just it's just he may be a little bit. More proven at level, and I think he would. I think he would make us better. To be honest, um, I think he he would make us better, and he would thrive in that environment. So he's the only one. And we've analysed all these different tactical elements. We've probably left out the biggest one. What's the Irish plan for Antoine Dupont? Look, obviously, everyone talks about him the week the the week of the game. He's just so good. I think at waiting for the right moment, you know, to uh, to to have a goal himself. Um, I don't think you can. Obviously, just talk, like I don't think you can't man mark him. You can't get totally focused on him either. Um, and the thing about him is, is that even like he has power, which is so like Duane Van der Meer is a massive man, right? So and we know when he gets going in open country, he's incredibly hard to stop. But what I think is is incredibly difficult to, to understand about the point is that you know there could be two forwards on him, and he manages to to get. Get through and and uses his fend and uses his his subtle footwork and power. So yeah, I think you just got to starve him a ball really. But there will be a moment when he he has a chance, and we got to make sure that that tackle is is accurate because he makes he, he he's just so um, so hard to stop. And, and he's a world, former world player of the year. But Ireland Ireland have had a plan for him in the past and haven't managed to to execute it. So the big question: top two countries in the world. Head to head this weekend. Whoever wins this weekend, is that going to be the winner of the Grand Slam? And if it is the case, how big a psychological edge is that going into a World Cup? I think if France lose, I think it's still they're still in a great place, you know. And they go on unbeaten for the rest of us, and um, then they have the home home nature of the of the World Cup, um, which will give them a boost. If we if we win it, I think it would be if we win this weekend. Um, I think it's massive first because it's that litmus test against a team who are bigger than us. And can bully us and have bullied us in the past. So, uh, and I would also reassure everybody that you know we're this calendar year we're in we're in good form, which 
you know, is it, like people are petrified. People are petrified that we're going to get, you know, get caught again being at the top for a game a year out from the World Cup. So every single week we get closer to the World Cup that we're n- not falling apart. Um, you know, we sleep a little bit easier. Uh, look at I, I, you, were, you were telling me earlier on text that Scotland were going to win the Grand Slam. So um, <laughs> you're putting me, putting me on the spot here. So look at no, I, I think on form, on form in terms of over the last two years and not seeing England bounce back immediately last week and Wales look poor and our England coming to, um, to Dublin. I, I think if we could win this weekend, we're obviously in a in a very strong position. But that's you know, there's been lots of shocks in this in this competition. And we have to win this weekend as well. You'll probably change your mind numerous times back and forth during the course of the week. That's what normally happens. But <laughs> sat sat here now, do you feel like Ireland are gonna edge it? Yeah, I think I think we will. Sexton Sexton didn't play last year. He's seven or eight points for us, I think, makes us better. Gary Ringrose is just on a different level. You know, Johnny mentioned Doris. We have the world player of the year, our hooker, Dan Sheen. Is is an unbelievable player as well. Uh, so we have a lot of guys kind of at the top of their game, and oh, I don't. Obviously, I I didn't think. Um, I, I thought a lot of the Toulouse individuals have been a little bit off, and I, I I felt they were tired. You know, going into the Six Nations, and as I said, I understand why they maybe weren't at their best against um, against Italy, but there's probably a doubt around the top form. Um, uh, you know, of some Marchand's been good, but I thought Boy has been hasn't been himself. Willemse. You know, he's a great player. I had him in Grenoble, but obviously he's not at the top of his game or hasn't been yet. You know, they're missing Dante, a lot of pressure on Fiku. Uh, so maybe France are just, just aren't, maybe not at the very, very top of, of where they were and where they can be. And if they aren't, well, then you'd have to say, you know, we hopefully exploit that. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on, Bernard. And we can't wait. Thanks, lads. Love the pod. See you in Edinburgh in a few weeks for the real Grand Slam decider. Take it easy. Bye bye. The real Grand Slam decider, Johnny. Not that you're getting carried away or anything. He's so good. I love having him on here. He's such a good analyst, such a good coach. And you can't argue. Like The two biggest teams in the world at the minute going head-to-head this weekend. It will be a huge game. So looking forward to it. hope he's wrong a little bit. I'd love to see France winning away again, obviously. But yeah, massive improvement in performance needed if they're going to beat them with Johnny Sexton back with his face all healed but uh, yeah looking forward to it and also going to catch Bernie at Murrayfield in a few weekends time and you're back in Scotland to beat them both anyway so it doesn't matter uh, I say Scotland are going to do a job over Wales this weekend that's all I said <laughs> I said one game at a time if you're Scotland it's a funny old comp like do you know what I mean? Like France will be down on themselves poor performance but five points in the bag do you know, like it doesn't matter you move on Block on block, week on week, you can't look too far ahead and get excited. So, like for Scotland, massive game this weekend against Wales, who've been poor, but expecting them to be loads better this weekend. Like another week with Warren, probably a rocket on the Monday. They'll go back to ultra Warren ball pragmatism. How do you squeeze Scotland? You know, the same stuff we've seen from them for the past 15 years. So, a big game at Murrayfield this weekend, too. And we obviously spoke about Italy and, and what they did to France. Do you see any chance that they could overturn England, beat them for the first time at Twickenham? I mean, it would be marvellous. I'm not going to lie, Tim. Um, do I see it happening? Do you know what? I was a little bit surprised this morning with the way Borth... And he's not known for being a people person, but when you essentially come out and call your team shit, like what I've inherited is rubbish, doesn't really fill you with motivation as a player. It makes you think, oh, well, maybe we are shit. But they're not. They're a talented bunch of players. They just need to fix how they play. 
and be a bit more ruthless. And if they do that, they should dispatch Italy without any problems. That being said, I'm looking forward to a closer game than has been in the past. I'm looking forward to Italy standing up at Twickenham and giving it a real go. It was amazing at the end of corporate at the weekend as well. Everyone was saying, is it too late to bring back Eddie? Can we bring back? We've made a mistake. Can we have him back? No, you can't. Like This is it. You've made your bed. You've now got to stick to your guns, get through the next four weeks of rugby, build a team properly. That's their challenge against the resurgent Italy that has built really well over the past 24 months. So another big test match. And I'm looking forward to that one too. Should be great. And back to the big one in Dublin, obviously there could yeah. be speculation in terms of what France might do team-wise because their performance wasn't where they wanted it to be. What do you think Fabian's going to do? And if it was you, I mean, you mentioned last week, you, you didn't necessarily think that Dumortier was going to be starting on the wing. What What do you think they'll do? So Dumortier only started because Villiers broke his foot or yeah. he did his ankle in training. Otherwise, Villiers would have started. I'd, I don't think, like, I think they'll scratch it. Fabian said, like this week in the prep, like, you can't be good all the time. It was our first game. We were dreadful. Um, we can't be that bad again. I don't think they will. And I don't think strategically they'll change too much or do too much different. They'll have their set plays that they think from first phase will unlock an Irish defensive line. They'll look at the frailties and weaknesses they, they think they can expose. But there's not going to be any wholesale changes. Like, Jalibert can do what he wants. I don't think he's going to start. Like, Roman and Tamak is the starter. He will be through to the World Cup. That's just the way it is. Again, it's about encouraging Fiku with Moefana, taking Moefana with him, doing more damage on the game line, solidifying the middle of the field and being solid as a pair. And then I just think you need to act more of that pack. They just, they like we talked about the power game with Bernard, they have to go to Dublin, try and impose themselves physically and demolish a game line. Take them on up front, whether it's Maul, big ball carries, big defensive hits, double collisions, jackal properly and attack scrum. Like that's going to be the simplicity of this game plan is take it back to your bare basics of rugby and try and blitz Ireland. I don't think they'll look too much further than that. We talked about the kicking game. It'll be ultra pragmatic. I don't think they'll go to the Aaron contest because that's not really a big strength of this French side. I think they will kick long and on, keep the ball on the field and look for little errors where they can keep the ball and try and export them. So I don't think there's going to be personnel change. Um, it's a side that's been settled. The 23 really, aside from the injuries, that have been settled for the best part of two years now. I think they'll just give it another crack, wipe the slate clean, forget about it and go again. And you mentioned that Ireland are going for a record home run with Bernard. Yeah, France don't usually chase games. We know that uh, I think they've only been behind twice at halftime in the Galtier era. They're obviously incredibly good front runners. And obviously that's even more key this weekend when you're going away from home to a side that is incredibly good at, at home. So for France, they will be pragmatic and they will look to just grind it out in there. Well, look at a little bit like watching England, Scotland at the week. Like all games now, the teams are super pragmatic. There's no rugby really played out of your third. Any well, anytime you see somebody well any well, anytime you see somebody try and run it back out, they get hit on the deck. The kick chase is so good they get like everyone's on the back foot trying to scramble and regather their footing to come back and clear out. You get turned over. So again, Fabian talks so much about the on time, the start of the game. It will be, how do you silence a crowd? If you ship 15, 20, however many points to Ireland, like they, like Wales did, in Dublin, the game's gone. It's buried and it's gone because once they get their tails up and the Dublin crowd is up, it's a horrible place to be. It's intimidating. Psychologically, it's not right. Whereas if France can go and impose themselves in the first five, 10 minutes, you know, simple penalty, three points, 
big defensive play, keep the ball down in Aaron's half, force them to play out, then it becomes a different game. It becomes an arm wrestle. You quiet in a crowd and that'll be that'll be their aim for the first 10-15 minutes of this game. Not to concede, start simply and see where they find themselves. Um, but a massive test match this weekend. One and, one and two in the world. It'll be absolutely incredible to watch. And Bernard's back in Ireland, just. Are you back in France, just, or what? Yeah, I think similar to the games that we saw, the tight games the first weekend, um, the difference of one score. But I think they've got enough in that. I think they've had an absolute rocket as well. Like, Especially when you go into the mentality of Frenchies, like, there's a lot of up and down and reaction. So I think if you get a big reaction and a big start from the squad, they can go and do a job. And it has to be that they boss it physically. If they're going to win this game, they have to impose themselves and dominate, which I think they're capable of doing. They've, they've got the players there. They've got the pool. We've seen Toulouse-La Rochelle do it away from home. That's where the mainstay of the side comes from. Like Bernard said, he said tight. I think it's going to be tight, but just the other way, uh, France to nick it by a score. And we said we touched just very briefly on the top 14, so we will. You've just got back, haven't you, from doing a game? Absolute cracker Sunday night? It was the worst game of rugby. I think I've ever worked on it. I did Stade Francais Bordeaux last night. It barely got beyond four phases. Bordeaux think I think they lost about 27 lineouts. That's how bad they were. But bizarrely, you know, Stade Francais another four points. They consolidate their place in second behind Toulouse and they march on. But mate, it was desperate. It really was desperate. It was like they'd never seen each other before, hadn't trained together. Uh, it was abysmal. But there you go. That's what I was doing last night. But yeah, I think again, they'll be like, scratch that game all of them, forget about it. Let's move on. And we had three away wins in the first round of the Six Nations, away wins in the top 14 as well. La Rochelle losing at home. That never happens. Incredibly. Incre- and again, Ro- we didn't talk about this last week, but Roger's been pinged again on a disciplinary commission. So he's just back from a 10-game ban and he's been he's been cited again. So that doesn't look good for him. But La Rochelle, incredibly, it was Leon as well. I didn't see that coming at all. Teddy Thomas getting one kick chase really wrong, not looking interested, tackling big Josh Tuisova. And that was the ball game. Not much difference at all, but a disappointing home loss for La Rochelle, who normally are so solid at home. Montpellier lost at home as well. But the other big away win was Perpignan at Breve. And they're now Absolutely level massive. points, aren't they, at the bottom? Absolutely massive. Especially at this stage of the season, psychologically, we'll look ahead at the calendar and how the the fixtures um, evolve. But for Perpignan, who kind of been dead and buried and been so much made about their staff and their manager, and I think a lot of the business end of the club was wanting to sack the management and get rid of them. And the players said, look, absolutely not. If you do it, we're going to go on strike. We're not going to train. We want them here. They're good. They're good people. They stuck to their guns. And winning away to Breve, who also had a little bit of resurgence after Patrice Calazzo came in, after that change of leadership, that's a massive away win for Perpignan. The fact they've won their tied, as you mentioned, on points, and now a two-way shootout to avoid that bottom spot and automatic relegation. And one line of transfer news in the top 14, because we've spoken in recent weeks about Semi Randrandra replacing Tuisova in Leon, but there are rumours as well that Josh Adams could be going to Leon. Do you think that could happen? Um, purely because... The Welsh Union isn't in a good shape financially. He's got two years left on his contract, um, but they've sounded them out about the possibility of buying him out of his contract with two years left, which would be a massive call for the Welsh Union to let him go. Also, that would mean if he leaves, he can't play for Wales. So it's a big decision for Josh, I mean, to be made in the next three, four, five weeks. A big signing for Leon if he does make the move, um, but a big loss for Welsh rugby. Any other 
Transfer news, gossip, scandal. <laughs> gossip, scandal, no, there's some transfer <laughs> news. There's no sex tapes this week. No, um, never mind. The Martin Pagerello, the scrum half from Toulouse, has been announced at Lyon as a replacement for Jonathan Pellissier. Uh, Louis Dupichot from Racing looks like he might be moving down to Toulon. Harry Williams, we mentioned last week, has been confirmed as moving to Montpellier, along with Luke Kawansiki and San Simmons. So look, things are starting to move already, especially that I didn't expect the number of non-Gif players. I thought it was going to slow down, but there's quite a few, especially from the Premiership, um, making their way over. The other one I think will be really interesting when he makes his decision, Tom Willis, who was excellent for Bordeaux last night, one of the few that actually was good to watch on his way back to Saracens, Jack Willis, still being courted by Bordeaux, um, performing really well for Toulouse. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up in the next few weeks. Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Bernard Jackman for joining us and giving us his analysis on this weekend's game. And massive thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we will be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Ciao, Tim. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.